Yeah. I made a promise to my mama that I bless her with some grandkids. She can spoil them. Until then, I'm getting dollars. I'm just doing what I gotta. Can a man live? And it's all day. I'm a god. Get a whole squad a job. Get them all paid. Came a long way from all state. Yeah. Now we all American. Shit. We all American. Yeah. I swear to God, I put the hero in heroin. These flows, kilos. I can sell snow to a ski slope. I can sell evil to the devil. Non-believers to a temple. Shit. I can sell water to a speedboat. And these eyes is iconic. I went pro, made profit. Now I keep some dead faces in my pocket. Getting faded, I've been stoned all week. All week. What's a guy without a little OD? Just twisting my weight, easing my mind while you worry about me. All right. You're rolling with the sideliner. I'm your host, Jay Coleman, coming to you out of Memphis, Tennessee. The beautiful land in the world. You can follow me and my shit posting on Twitter at jclyde21, and you can follow the pod for news and updates at the Sideliner Pod. Hoping you're having a great day wherever you are. Hope you sit back and enjoy the show. Make sure to leave us a like and review on SoundCloud and iTunes if you like what you hear. We got a lot going on today. We're going to talk a little about a little bit about my boy Marcus Saul. And we're going to preview what we can expect from the MLB this season. Let's get down to it. The big news out of the NBA this week was Mark Gasol to the Raptors for Johannes Valanciunas, Delon Walker, CJ Miles, and a second round pick. I want to give a shout out to my boy Big Spain in this segment of the big lead. He, Mike, Zebo, and TA captured the hearts of a city and created and embodied a culture an identity for the city. I can't wait to look up in the rafters of the FedEx Forum and see all four of their numbers, along with maybe Pals or Shane Battier's, hung up there, looking down on the future generations of Grizzlies basketball. Those guys deserve it more than anybody else. People outside of Memphis will laugh at us for retiring all those numbers, but people outside of Memphis don't get the connection that they had to our city. It's a blue-collar town. I'm a blue-collar player, a hard worker, and it's, and, and it's the same way with the town. You got to live here, be a part of the city to understand why we, as a city, think their numbers should be retired. Mike, Mark, Zebo, and Tony Allen are all Memphis. They embody the culture of the 901. None of those guys were born here. They were Memphians by choice. And they are the most loved people in Memphis outside of, like, Penny Hardaway or Larry Finch. They are all sons of Memphis. None of them will probably be Hall of Famers. That's fine. I understand that. But the thing is, Memphis has this amazing ability, and this is why I love this place. Memphis has this amazing ability to hug those who love the city or play here. Ask any former Memphis Tiger, Robert Dozier, Willie Kemp, Antonio Anderson, DJ Steffens, Joe Jackson, Sean Taggart, Derrick Rose, Elliot Perry, D'Angelo Williams, Isaac Bruce, any of them. They will tell you how frequently they are recognized by strangers on the streets of Memphis. How much people will love them for playing here. And the same thing is happening with the Grizz and former Grizz who have embraced this city. 
They will all be legends in the city of Memphis until the end of time, until the city is gone and destroyed. Even when Mark Gasol looks nothing like he does now, when he's shrunk with age and in the twilight of his life, he will be recognized by people on the streets of Memphis. People like me will tell my son or my daughter about Grizzlies basketball, and it doesn't matter if it's still here or not. We'll tell them about the grid and grind era. And I'll tell them about Mike, Mark, Tony, and Zach and the amazing seven years of the grid and grind here in Memphis, Tennessee. I'll pass on that oral history of Memphis sports just like my dad did with me and my brothers when he told me about Dana Kirk, Larry Finch, Penny Hardaway, Lorenzen Wright, or when he saw Bo Jackson play with the Memphis Chicks, or Albert Pujols hit a walk-off homer for the Redbirds in the PCL championship. Grid and grind is only Grizzlies basketball I know. I'm grateful that I got to grow up on it. Anyways, shout out Big Spain. Get you a ring, buddy. We're rooting for you from afar. Rest in peace, grid and grind. I can't wait to tell my kids about you. You will be missed. Now let's get to the baseball in our rundown. Bonifacio starts to the plate. Now he's in a rundown. Morrison's on his way to second. Bonifacio, Soto drops the ball! And everybody is safe! All right, and in the rundown, our baseball segment, we're going to break down each division of baseball week by week, leading up to my favorite holiday, opening day of the MLB season. Today, we are going to take a short look at the teams of my favorite division, the NL East. The NL East has the potential to be what the NL Central was last year, where three or four of the teams within the division are battling for playoff spots. The only team you can certainly say will not make the playoffs is Derek Jeter's shit show down in Miami. But let's break down the teams one by one, starting with the division champs from last year, the Atlanta Braves. Full disclosure, I am a die-hard Braves fan. The chop is in my blood. Chipper Jones and Andrew Jones are my favorite baseball players of all time. And my graduation present to my girlfriend and myself is to go catch a Braves game down at SunTrust Park this May. You get the picture. I love the Braves. However, I am underwhelmed by their winter acquisitions, to say the least. I love the Josh Donaldson pickup. If, if he stays healthy. A big if. The Braves have three legitimate MVP contenders in Donaldson, Freddie and Acuna, if Josh Donaldson stays healthy. Obviously, my problem with him is his durability. Will he be able to play the whole season? Or at least 130, 140 games? His bat and glove are still there if his time with the Tribe and with Toronto say anything at all about where he is in the skills department. He was solid, and he can still hit in field, but he hasn't played a full season since 2016, and that raises eyebrows for me, and that's where I'm skeptical on that pickup. 
if Donaldson does, does stay healthy, though, you can see top farms prospect Austin Riley platooning in the outfield or even with Dansby Swanson and Charlie Culberson at short. End of the day, Donaldson is likely going to be a stopgap for next year when Austin Riley has a chance to dive headfirst at third. And I'm tempted to say re-signing Marquecas was another stopgap move to give Christian Pache, who is also a non-roster invite to the MLB camp at spring training. They get, he get, it gives them more time to develop in the minors. I think 2020 is the year you have Pache in right, Ender in center, Acuna in left, Riley at third, Dansby at short, Albies at second, and Freddie at first. That is the Braves' future. That is the team that will win them the World Series. I don't think they're going to win the World Series this year. Looking at the 2020 outlook, if everything pans out, it's understandable on why the Braves didn't pursue Harper aggressively or were aggressive in general this winter during the during free agency. They brought in a vet catcher and a fan favorite in Brian McCann, who to me gives off the Grandpa Rossi vibes of the 2016 Cubs. He's a good mentor, good knowledgeable baseball mind for the younger players to look up to and pick his brain. I think you'll see a lot of good things happen with the younger pitchers because of this, especially Newcomb and Fulty. And I think that he'll give Tehran a little bit of sense of comfort because that is Tehran's old catcher. That was the catcher that he came up and played with when he was a rookie. And I would also have my dark horse on this team is the ace for Cy Young. I say that every if everybody stays healthy and the bullpen grows into its potential, it's because it's a lot of young arms, or it was last year, they'll finish around 90 wins for the second season straight, and that'll be enough for a playoff spot, likely a wild card. I can see an NLCS in the future if everything goes right, but most likely the Braves only make it to the NLDS. On to the Phillies. I do not like the Phillies at all. But I respect their brand of baseball. It's clean. It's a mixture of old-fashioned and new school. On paper, the Phillies, even without Bryce Harper or Manny Machado, as of now, are World Series contenders. They add an amazing infielder in John Shigura, a great bullpen arm in Trent Richardson, arguably the best catcher in the game right now in JTL Romulto. And they have a Cy Young contender in Aaron Nola and a decent Nick Pavetta with arms that the Phils hope to develop behind them. If Bryce or Machado are added, they will be the toughest team to beat in all of baseball. That is, only if manager Gabe Kapler gets out of his own way, gets his head out of his ass. If Kapler micromanages every situation and wears his bullpen ragged like he did last year, the Phillies will enter, limp into the playoffs or they'll get beaten in LDS easily. On paper, though, I think the Phillies have a chance at 92 wins. If they get Harper or Machado, expect around 95 wins. If they get both, I would be surprised if I wouldn't be surprised if they win 100 games. 
if Kapler learned how to manage during this offseason and combine combine the system of analytics and saver metrics with the old school eyeing of the pitcher and stuff like that of pitcher and of batter and stuff like that I can see this team going to the NLCS with Bryce or Machado even if it's even I think it's even possible that they make the World Series and maybe even win it the Mets I applaud the Mets for trying to make moves this offseason getting Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz was a good overall move. Robbie Cano is coming off a down year after being suspended for PEDs, but he has an opportunity to help give perennial Cy Young contenders Jacob DeGrom and Noah DeSindergaard an opportunity, uh, much needed run support. If, if Cespedes and Conforto can stay healthy, that should help their cause. Todd Frazier at third. It's always a good bat to have, but obviously the Todd father can't carry the Mets all by himself. His success at the plate relies on Cespedes Cano and a bunch of others uh, stepping up because he needs people in front of him that he can knock in. Their bullpen, their bullpen isn't bad, but it also isn't good. It's really mediocre, but they have an awesome closer in Jurius Familia. Overall, the, the Mets have a strong upside. But they also don't have a high ceiling. If they're if they're out of the race come September, expect Tim Tebow to come up on the forty man roster. If he stays healthy, that'll put asses and seats down at, uh, up in Queens. I expect about 83, 84 wins. They'll be treading water just above five hundred, basically all season. Not too far out, not too far out of it to give up, but also too far out of it for it to be a realistic catch up but never able to get over the hump or pass third place in the division, even if healthy. The last team that I expect to do anything this season in the NL East is the Nationals. The Nationals easily have the best starting rotation in the NL East and maybe even the league when they're healthy. Even better than the Mets with Thor and DeGrom. And it's not even close. Scherzer, Strasburg, Newly added Patrick Corbin and Anibal Sanchez with a young, talented Eric Freed to round out a six-man rotation is going to help Scherz stay dominant and keep Strasburg healthy. Extra days, extra days of rest in general will help the whole rotation stay on top of things, not including Harper, the Nats, basically have everyone returning, and add Brian Dozier, Jan Gomes, and Kirk Suzuki, all good Bassin fielders. Suzuki, with his time with the Braves, he's an awesome veteran presence that can contribute and expect him to get a lot out of the younger pitchers like he did here in Atlanta. Also expect Juan Soto to be an MV, in, to be in the MVP conversation in at least the beginning of the year. And he will definitely be an all-star if there's anything that is certain about him. Nats will be in the hunt all season for a playoff spot, winning around 86, 87 games. And I think them or the Braves will be fighting for the with the Cardinals or Cubs for the second wild card spot. And then we get to the Marlins. Not even lying when I say this. I knew no one on this team when I looked at their roster outside of Martin Prado, Starlin Castro, 
Jorge Alfaro, and Brian Anderson. And the guy that hit Ronald Acuna last year, Jose Urania. They made a solid pickup in getting Neil Walker, but that's it. This team's nothing special. I expect 68 wins tops, but most likely around 63 to 65. Either way, the Marlins are nowhere close to a playoff berth or anywhere close to the end of whatever rebuild Derek Jeter wants to have with this team. With an overall look, the way the NL East sets up for me goes a little like this, and we'll count this as my betting advice for this episode. Keep in mind, these are my predictions for if every team stays relatively healthy for the duration of the season. In first place, in winning the division, I have the Phillies. The Phillies with 92 wins. In second place, I have the Braves with 90 wins. Nats in third place with 86 wins. And fourth, I have the Mets with 82 wins, just above, just above 500. And in dead last, the Marlins with 65 wins if they're lucky. Moving on to dubs and L's for this week. We're only going to do one dub and L for the duration of our rundown. But in this segment, we talk about the biggest winners and losers of the week in sports. For the dub, we have the New England Patriots. Congrats, Patriots fans, including myself. We have won our sixth Super Bowl. What might have been the most boring Super Bowl I've ever seen in my life. Patriots beat the Rams 13-3 in Atlanta to claim their sixth franchise championship. That ties uh, the Patriots with the Steelers for most rings by a franchise, and it's the sixth ring in the Brady-Belichick era. Brady had a lackluster game, but with with well-placed offense and solid defense, got the job done for the Pats to win another one. I took the L in betting the over, but I did get the Pats beat in the spread, and I was 2-1 on my sports bets last week in our L of the week I have Los Angeles sports teams not only did LA take the L with the Rams and Jared Goff playing atrociously boring football and just hideous football in general the LA Lakers were led on were led on by the New Orleans Pelicans for the last two weeks as they tried to acquire Anthony Davis the Pelicans didn't give no fucks, and seemingly never seriously engaged with the Lakers at all, but Magic kept baiting, taking the bait, and keep trying to get Davis from them. Really causing them, And that really caused the Lakers to miss out on making other deals and screwing with team chemistry in L.A. by doing so. The, L- the Lakers will be lucky to make the playoffs. They are playing terrible with LeBron hurt on and off and barely playing. This team is nothing to look at. The Pelicans held on to Davis past the deadline and did their part to get back at LeBron for tampering back in December when he said he'd like to play with AD. All right, guys, we are entering the ninth inning. We're in the home stretch of this podcast. Ninth inning is where we talk about a free-for-all topic, sports-related or not, just for the hell of it. I got two things I want to talk about. And the first thing I want to talk about is what the hell is going on with 21 Savage. Earlier this week, Ice, D. 
detained 21 Savage, claimed that 21 was a British immigrant that arrived at 14 and overstayed his visa and is eligible for deportation. This tripped the hell out of me, man. The way that man raps, he sounds like he's from Georgia. He sounds like he's from Atlanta. You'd never expect that man to be anywhere, be from anywhere else but Atlanta. Especially the way he raps about Atlanta itself. Like, he's obviously been here long enough to lose the accent, but now you know damn well everyone who listens to rap is listening for a slight accent at all now. Anything at all. Rolling Stone had a great article that detailing the struggles of this case. If anyone's interested in reading more on how convoluted the case is, because it is all over the place. Like, I tried reading it, and there's a lot of... There's a lot of uh, misinformation and disinformation. Like, we don't know exactly when he came here and stuff like that. It's miscommunication communication on all sides, but I'll give 21 credit. He's the first British rapper I've ever heard that doesn't sound like he has peanut butter in his mouth when he's rapping. Godspeed to 21. He's appealing the case, and I hope he beats it for the sake of his children. Free 21. Um, on to the second topic of the ninth. I'd be remiss if I didn't mission, uh, mention that baseball great Frank Robinson passed away this week in L.A. at the age of 83. Over a 20-year playing career, Frank Robinson was a 14-time All-Star, two-time World Series champ, two-time MVP, triple crown winner, gold glove winner, and a 1956 Rookie of the Year. After his illustrious playing career, he became the first African-American manager in MLB history when he took over the Indians in 1975, winning Manager of the Year in 1989. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame on his first attempt in 1982. Frank also had the honor of having his number 20 retired by the Reds, Orioles, and Indians, along with becoming a member of each of those teams' Hall of Fames. In his personal life, Frank was a member of the NAACP and a prominent voice in the civil rights movement, speaking out against Baltimore's segregated housing in the mid-60s. Frank left behind two children and his wife. His life inspired us all, and he will be missed. All right, guys, that wraps us up. If you like what you heard, feel free to hit us with a subscribe and leave a review, and make sure to follow the show on Twitter at the Sideliner Pod and me at jclyde21. If you have any questions or advice, the DMs are open. I'd like to thank Hannah Carlson for designing the logo for the Sideliner. You can follow her at Real Hannah Carl. This is Jay Coleman. This is the Sideliner, and we are gone. How much money you got? A lot. How much money you got? A lot. How many problems you got? A lot. How many people done doubted? A lot. Left you out to rot? A lot. How many pray that you flop? A lot. How many lawyers you got? A lot. How many times you got shot? A lot. How many niggas you shot? A lot. How many times did you ride? A lot. How many niggas done died? A lot. How many times did you cheat? A lot. How many times did you lie? A lot. How many times did she leave? A lot. How
How many times did she cry? A lot. How many chances she done gave you? Fuck around with these thighs. Every day that I'm alive, I'ma ride with this stick. I'd rather be broke in jail than be dead and rich. Told my brothers, take my breath if I turn to a snitch. But I'm 21 for L, ain't no way I'ma switch. 